Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Hello, 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 it's Brendan here with Mark, vetgurus.com. It is episode 226. Friday, January the 28th, 2022. End of January already, Mark. I hope you're starting to look for Christmas presents already. Are there hot cross buns in the supermarkets in Melbourne? Oh, there's nothing in the supermarkets in Melbourne. Yeah, that's right. There's been, they've been stripped bare again um, since the Omicron craze, I was going to say rage, um, outbreak. <laughs> And uh, it's a little bit tricky trying to get some products, but um, we're coping, Mark. It's not as bad as when it was that first crazy. I remember way back when COVID first came out that I heard rumours from a somebody who came over from Asia, Mark, um, to Melbourne, and they said, it's gone crazy in um, Singapore. People have just taken all the toilet paper off the shelves um, and I thought that's just really stupid and odd and I should have gone out and or you know raided the supermarket because one week later was when it hit in in Melbourne and you could literally end up wiping your backside with some leaves from the backyard Mark. <laughs> it does seem to me to be a little bit of a a uh, a funny of all the things all the things to hoard. Depend- yeah. I know, it just seems odd that toilet paper's on. Yes, but that's humans for you, Mark. Um, they're a bit odd. We're all a bit odd, some odder than others. Um, it's going to be, now we might, uh, apologies to our listeners, um, if they can hear some ambient noises from my end, Mark. I've got the windows open here because we have the evaporative cooler on it. It's a very hot spell here in Melbourne. Um, temperatures well above 35 degrees Celsius and very humid, so it feels very tropical here, Mark. So if I'm sweating, it's not because I'm struggling to answer your questions. <laughs> it's it's um, the actual heat here and the humidity. So, um, but And I'm sure you, there's always a your good wife um, doing burnouts um, with, with a car in the background or something like that um, in in, um, in the background for you, isn't there, Mark? It's always the case that um, either one of the doves out the window or one of the cats or, the, yep, there always is, which I reckon adds a level of authenticity to the, the podcast that, um, you know, this is not some... The, the, sterile, uh, yes. We're not <laughs> studio sterile. Studio environment. Yes, that's right. We're not, we're not um, scripted and sterile, yes. So... I don't think we have a review this week. Um, it's about time we did a bit of a equipment review, Mark. Um, so we'll put our thinking hats on for next week, I think, um, some sort of veterinary gear or ancillary gear for the veterinary um, practice that we should review. And we're always looking for advice or um, thoughts from our listeners for, for reviews as well. So send an email to us, vetgurus at gmail.com, and we will promptly laugh a lot and um, review it for you so <laughs> and if you like we can even mention your name and if you don't want us to mention your name you can be anonymous so 
Well, I'm going to jump into my one and only news story, Mark, and it's it's not a – I know I try to be positive with my news stories, Mark, but this one's not particularly positive. Well, in fact, it's a bit depressing. Um, Hong Kong has decided to kill 2,000-plus animals after hamsters from pet shops tested positive. Several of them tested positive for the coronavirus at a Hong Kong pet store and the employee was, was also infected. So um, I've got a few questions about this one, Mark. Um, I presume that um, once the employee tested positive, maybe they started testing all the all the animals. Um, is that, that the reason? No, I wasn't going down the rat hole of, of hamsters and humans and in particular um ways of using them or not using or abusing the mark. Um, so Hong Kong will also stop the sale of hamsters and the import of small mammals, according to the officials. And um, the employee tested positive for the Delta variant and several of the hamsters were imported from the Netherlands tested positive. So the sad thing is, yeah, they are going to um, – they, they said they could not – could not exclude the possibility that the shopkeeper was in fact infected from the hamsters and they, uh, as a precautionary measure, customers who bought hamsters from the store after January the 7th would be traced and subject to mandatory quarantine and must hand over the hamsters to be euthanized. And all pet stores in Hong Kong must stop selling hamsters and that's around about 2,000 of them um, and they're thinking... They're, they're probably going to euthanize all of those and also chinchillas and other small mammals there, Mark. Um, so what do you think about this? I think it is a little bit of an overreaction, but I think um, officials and bureaucracies often feel the pressure, feel the difficulty of the circumstance, and, and sometimes um, parts of their reaction uh, can be a bit out of proportion. I, I'm... I'm I'm loath to um, judge those authorities too harshly because they, um, they, you know, they're just trying to do their job. Um, but I, I don't think it makes any difference. I don't think the, um, the, I doubt very much from what I can understand of the nature of this disease that the employee caught it from the, the. Uh, the, the small mammals, the um, uh, hamsters, um, and and uh, the, the geez, we the supply chain thing, Brendan. We can't ship um, uh, rapid tests around the world, uh, rapid antigen tests around the world with any speed. But um, they're importing hamsters from <laughs> the Netherlands to Hong Kong for pet stores. So, it, you know, that's the thing that strikes me as odd that. Um, that there, there is a supply chain, a, a, a international trade movement of these animals across that uh, um, that space. My understanding was the variant that the um, hamsters had was the Delta variant, the old one that's yes. being universally replaced by Omicron. Um, and so, uh, like I said, uh, probably an overreaction, um, probably going to cause a lot of heartache and and pain for people who are bonded to their hamsters, um, uh, but I'm 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 cautious about being too harsh a judge on the authorities making these decisions because they're going to get some of them wrong. We want them to do something. Yes, I must admit there is one good um, comment in there. Um, they 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 put in the line "Do not kiss your pets," which I think was good. Um, and funny you should say about the um, being able to import 
hamsters and and um, the the supply chain. I, I received a Christmas card yesterday um, from one of my relatives. It was posted mid December, um, so finally finally received that. And two days ago, I received another Christmas card um, from our friend Mark in. USA um, that was posted early December, Mark, um, and it just <laughs> arrived uh, on the twenty fourth of, of January. Um, I'm looking forward to his next his 2021 Christmas card. That was one of the year before <laughs> that just arrived. Um, so I think they need to you need to start thinking about those Christmas presents, but also posting um, those Christmas cards much earlier. Um, these days, that's it's a bit scary, isn't it? A month and a half to receive a little Christmas card yeah so there you go we've definitely gone we've definitely gone uh you know the the systems for getting that stuff around the world probably peaked three or four years ago and and now we're regressing but not with hamsters apparently apparently you can yes get those around the world and i i'd be i'd be it would be astounding i think how much of the deliveries to people um, that are just dropped off at your doorstep or at the um, post box and that um, even though, you know, previously they require signatures, even the ones that still say signature required are are just dropped off, flung, you know, on our doorstep. Um, How many of those are stolen? Um, I reckon it would be, you know, billions of dollars of those that then people, you know, claim that they weren't weren't received and they weren't um and they hopefully get their money back or whatever but the 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 loss for all of those yeah um because and all those subcontractors you know because i think they're paid well certainly here in australia but they're paid per delivery item you know it might be a dollar or whatever per delivery item and so they they just want to get them out as quickly as they can and they just it's, it's a drive-by, isn't it? And you see them flinging them out of the van. Yeah. Um, so, and that might be your new iPhone that's um, rattling, <laughs> rattling along the driveway um, for you. So what have you got, Mark? What's your news story? I have uh, a wonderful – I really like this article from the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences of the United States. It, it's um, uh, some researchers at La Trobe University have, um, have established that uh, bearded dragons, um, the gender is it, it. I actually just said bearded dragons, but I don't know. There's a photo of a bearded dragon in yes. the article, but um, I don't know whether that's specifically the um, the species that they're working with. Um, but the point of the article is that um, the sex chromosomes, uh, the actual. Um, genes that code for the um, uh, sex of the lizard um, are precisely the same and it is in fact some of what may be considered the junk DNA, some of the surrounding DNA, the so-called epigenetic uh, DNA um, that um, causes the genes to express differently in different lizards. Um, It's a little bit of a surprise for the researchers because uh, when they look under the microscope um, at the chromosomes, um, the female-specific chromosome, the W chromosome, um, is uh, quite different in appearance to the male chromosome. Um, but there's there was a huge amount of um, of the you know the repetitive the so-called junk DNA, so it even stains differently. Um, but the actual uh, uh, um, genetic material. Is, 
is not different. It's the expression of that genetic material influenced by junk DNA. And I'm, this is um, fascinating because um, that junk DNA, um, in my mind, um, in the reading that I've done, I've always assumed that it uh, you know, didn't serve a function, that it's an accumulation of, of um, you know, minor errors of of uh, um, of of the long term process of evolution, um, but it appears this is an example of um, of where the junk DNA plays a critical role to the survival of um, of the species. Um, it's interesting too. A little sideline is that the the um, the study is part of um, that bigger process. We've talked about this a number of times. The the so-called Earth Biogenome Project, um, which is uh, designed to give us critical information about all complex life on the planet, um, how it works and how it's evolved. And largely, the large part of that work is um, sequencing um, and understanding the DNA of as many species as possible. Um, and while... I heartily approve of the side effects of that research, um, acquisition of knowledge. I, I, the, the part of the argument for that project is conservation, and we've already many times discussed um, the fact that there's nothing like saving habitat for conservation. Um, reservoirs of DNA, um, uh, you know, the... the, the um, uh, DNA order isn't going to save the species. It'll be nice for someone to look back and go, oh, I don't see a time when we've got a little uh, 3D printer um, that you plug in a genetic code into and it prints a, uh, an identical copy of the species that's been extinct for 100 years. I just don't think that's ever going to happen. Well, you've covered a lot there, Mark. Um, <laughs> I've just looked up the paper and it is indeed bearded dragons, Pagona viticeps. It was um, regarding Mark, the inland bearded dragon, so that's what the article was relating to. I think we're all junk DNA, aren't we? I certainly am, Mark. Um, that's all. That's my only comment from it. Um, it's pretty damn obvious. That's what I am. Um, yeah, interesting article. Hmm, um, it's one that makes you think. That sort of article. <laughs> yes, it hurts your head sometimes reading some of these things and when you um, sit down and contemplate them, which we'll have a link to at vetgurus.com, Mark, for um, this episode. And with that, we'll jump into our main topic, which is one you suggested, which is, gee, it's a broad topic here, but um, I'm going to shrink this down, shrink it down to its essence, Mark, avian desexing, so bird desexing. So and we're going to um, ask the hard questions and we're going to give the simple answers, aren't we, Mark? I've never these. been known for that. <laughs> That's right. In the whole so, time you've known me. <laughs> so my first question, Mark, is why would you consider desexing a bird? Trying to be punchy here, Brendan. Um, because, and it's all we we don't dissect. First thing to say is we don't dissect male birds, and uh, the um, caponization game is a thing of the past. We leave uh, 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 testicles in birds, um, so we're only dissecting um, female birds. And the reason we do it is because they have a huge array of reproductive tract problems. A huge, you know, from uh, 
dystocia to uh, cancers to um, uh, infections of the reproductive tract. Um, there's a whole array of uh, health issues in pet birds that arise because the birds have um, an oviduct and salpingectomy solves those to a significant but not absolute extent. So, well, you need to cover what you skipped over there, Mark. Um, so why don't we desex the boys? Um, because it's um, dangerous and difficult and a large number of them die. Um, uh, the caponization story, I mentioned the word um, uh, caponization, that's uh, derived, you know, that's the process of desexing a male rooster to uh, a male um, uh, fowl to uh, render it uh, free of androgens and therefore allow it to grow up, first of all, not fighting, but to taste better um, as it grows. Um, and there are, you know, uh, without anaesthetic, it was uh, uh, once done in the distant past that a little nick in the flank and um, people who understood the anatomy of the birds would reach in and, and grab the testicle and literally pull it Rip out. Them out, yep. Um, and some of the birds would die. Uh, a bare majority of them would live and go on to um, provide uh, a gentler flesh for the table at a later time in their their existence. Um, but as far as a surgical procedure uh, for um, male pet birds, those risks are significant. The uh, proximity of the gonads to the the uh, major blood vessels, the aorta, um, means that it's very difficult to remove them confidently and uh, not not cause a fatal hemorrhage. And it's so, the same reason, Brendan, um, that we don't, uh, when we're desexing female birds, we don't take those gonads. Um, the the left ovary, the birds only have a left ovary, um, is like plastered like spack filler into the spaces um, at the uh, um, dorsal part of the abdomen and it surrounds some of the major blood vessels and so even surgeons are much more expert than me that are in your league um, have tried to remove the ovary and there's no no guarantee that the birds aren't going to bleed out. So we don't touch the gonads as a general rule. Occasionally we'll have gonadal tumours that we might partially remove, um, you know, the affected tissue, but we're not making an attempt to remove the entire gonad at any time with these animals. So does that uh, finish this podcast then, Mark? <laughs> we, can, we can have an, another podcast for each one of the questions you've got on the agenda. So what do we do then? So you mentioned the, the, the surgical or not um, method. So what's it? And why, I suppose, is the is is question that we need to jump into. Why are we considering this in our thoughts? Um, because what, do you mean like are you leading me into answering about the, <laughs> the, the, those diseases? Why we do it? And, Why we're worried well, about the most, this? Yes. The most common reason that I would consider doing it would be a patient that has uh, egg yolk coelomitis. That's probably the most common presentation where we have a bird um, that has um, ruptured a, a follicle either in the process of... Um, of it leaving the ovary or while it's still attached to the ovary. And then the yolk material, the material in that follicle, spreads over the, the internal 
um, uh, the, the coelom, the body cavity, and causes a huge uh, inflammatory reaction. It's a very common event in female birds who are pet birds, um, very common um, in chickens. And so part of the resolution of that um, is to consider removing the the um, oviduct. So would you, say, would you say that's more common than the client who comes in and says, I have two or more birds and I don't want them to breed? Fix it? Definitely, definitely, definitely more common. Um, we've, we don't often have um, clients who are worried about that reproductive potential for their birds. Um, with that, but those events where we end up with complications with faulty attempts at reproduction, they're really, really common. And humanised birds are, you know, a real problem that they don't have the full suite of behaviours to go through the whole reproductive process um, and they end up uh, somewhere along the pathway getting a, a serious complication. Um, so uh, these salpingectomy procedures are really critical to managing the well-being of those birds. So what do we do? How do we do what? this? What do we do? The first thing is, I suppose the first thing, um, just as we would with any surgical procedure, is to make sure we've got a stable patient. So if, for example, we were discussing uh, an, a coelomitis bird, um, we would try to um, settle that disease process down so that we had a stable patient for surgery. So that might involve even uh, uh, a, um, a, a Lucrin um, injection or a, a, a supralorin implant to shut the reproductive tract down um, and uh, then some anti-inflammatory medication. Uh, particularly, we find meloxicam um, is, uh, while it doesn't change the presence of those yolk proteins in the coelom, um, it markedly reduces the extravagant inflammatory process um, that causes um, the bird so much trouble. So stabilizing the patient first. And then um, uh, it's a, a relatively simple surgical procedure. Um, we make a, a small incision in the paralumbar fossa. Um, uh, we gain access to the left um, side of the bird's body, entering the caudal uh, uh, abdominal air sac. Um, and once we're in there, um, it, the appearance of the oviduct um, is, it, it has that um, lovely pink appearance that um, uh, uteruses and uh, salpinxes have in all species. It's relatively easy to identify. After drugs like uh, luprolide or um, uh, that class of drugs, the, the oviduct can be really small. It might be, you know, in a cockatiel-sized bird, it might be thinner than the lead in a pencil. And so um, it is important to maybe be aware of the anatomic appearance. Um, once you've uh, made the small incision, so in a cockatiel-sized bird, the usual incision might be um, 11 or 12 millimetres. Um, you identify the, uh, the oviduct. There are three main points that I try to locate as I extract the, um, the oviduct. Um, uh, usually, um, the, the, um, the, the, 
there's a, a blood vessel that runs to the central part of the oviduct. Um, and if you're careless and that tears, there can be a lot of blood. It's usually not a fatal hemorrhage, but um, it's best avoided. So I'll identify that blood vessel and use so hemocrit. So if to you off. happen to hit that vessel, do you just use a bit of pressure and just wait, just wait for it to clot or...? That's exactly what I do. Um, it's very difficult if that uh, vessel is lacerated to locate it um, and, as, you know, ligate it or place a hemoclip on it. Um, so it's good just to take a little bit of time to identify it before it tears so that you feel comfortable. But if it does tear, um, then just a little bit of um, uh, pressure is usually sufficient to, uh, to allow it to, um, to contract down and seal up. Um, then I move cranially, um, tracking along the um, the uh, uh, oviduct and breaking down the the um, mesometrium until I get to the vicinity of the the ovary, um, and at that point the um, blood vessels and ligaments uh, that, that are usually pretty uh, they're much more loose than I would normally expect in in the the mammalian analog. Um, and so I can tease that out a little distance and once again either ligate it or um, hemoclip um, to seal that off. So then I have um, a um, the oviduct uh, dangling out of the, the wound. Um, I have the major blood vessels sealed off and I track down to um, the... Uh, um, cloaca. Um, I often will find that if I have some sort of, um, uh, in many of these birds that have pathology, the distinction between the oviduct um, and the cloaca at the vagina is is maybe a little bit indistinct by the scarring and, and inflammation. So I will often um, use an instrument, a, a thin Q-tip type, you know, cotton bud or some, um, you know, the very thin ones that we use for uh, bacteriology. I might insert that into the oviduct to mobilise it, uh, in, insert it into the cloaca to mobilise the cloaca so I can identify the, the point at which the cloaca becomes, uh, the oviduct enters the cloaca and clamp that with a hemoclip and then I have the oviduct out. It's a relatively simple procedure. Um, and um, with only a little bit of uh, avian uh, surgical and anesthesia experience, um, all veterinarians, I think, are going to be able to do it. And um, and I encourage them to become familiar with the anatomy and, and perform the procedure. Are there any problems if you didn't manage to get all of that oviduct out and you've left a little bit near the cloacal region there um, or have there been any you know published reports of any equivalent of you know salpingitis or equivalent um, occurring with that little stump i'm unaware of any publications that discuss pot stump pyometra in birds um and and but i do that i think that um it is definitely i mean all the the, um, the the anatomy is so analogous. The location is so close to um, the bacteria of the fecal material. Um, there's a significant amount of dysfunction. I think it is worth being fairly precise about the placement of that um, most distal ligature uh, or the hemoclip to try and minimise the chance that there's a, 
an opportunity for that stuff. But it, I wouldn't say that um, that that's my primary concern after the procedure. In fact, it tends to be the opposite end. One of the reasons that we um, perform the cell penjectomy um, is uh, to limit reproductive activity. And the good thing is that in the majority of the species that we see that in captivity, um, that uh, the presence of the the first part of the oviduct is critical to the development of follicles and so once you take it away there's a powerful inhibitory effect on the the production of follicles and so the problem ends but that's not an absolute thing and and i've definitely had particularly some cockatiels where we go through this whole procedure and um Genetically, those birds are coded to be very reproductively active um, and they continue to produce follicles even after the removal of the, the uh, oviduct. Um, and, of course, it's a disaster then because there's absolutely, you know, it's guaranteed to be a coelomitis problem because they, um, they, there's nowhere for those follicles to go but the coelom. So there is a subset uh, small in my uh um, cases I would estimate it to be something about um, uh, two to five percent of uh, of cockatiels would go on to continue to produce follicles and still require the inhib inhibitory effects of a supralorin implant or something like that. And postoperatively, what meds do they go home on, Mark? Or it's pretty pretty simple. It is. It, it's surprisingly. It's always been surprising to me how robust these birds are, and and uh, we definitely find that um, you know appropriate analgesia at the time of surgery with uh, appropriate opiates and um, uh, uh, and some anti-inflammatory medication um, means that the birds tend to recover particularly well. There's something about um, the air sacs, I reckon, that uh, that makes. Um, uh, intra-abdominal surgery, intracelomic surgery, um, these birds seem to just be a little bit, um, well, um, uh, resilient. They bounce back from this really well. So we generally are not um, uh, requiring antibiotics. Um, there are times, particularly in the poultry, where we will consider um, carefully flushing um, parts of the abdomen out, being conscious of not getting um, uh, flush into the um, the uh, uh, parts of the air sac that might end up uh, causing the bird to drown. Um, but generally speaking, um, anti-inflammatories, analgesics, um, uh, cage-rest, a good uh, 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 solid recovery from the anaesthetic and the birds bounce back really well. Excellent. Well, I think there'll be a few people running out to um, perform this procedure in the next week or two, Mark, from your description. Um, any other sort of tips or tricks regarding the actual procedure? Well, the only one I'd um, mention is the uh, uh, when I first started desexing birds, I would um, uh, use ligatures, use suture material to um, in a in an attempt to decrease the material that was um, left in there, me thinking that my knots were going to be a little bit uh, smaller than the the uh, uh, hemoclips or ligoclips, whichever brand you use. Um, but um, I've completely switched now. Those, those uh, clamps, the clips, um, they make this procedure 
so so much faster and it's much easier to place them accurately and and i think um the speed with which they allow you to complete the procedure makes it a much more feasible thing to do so that's a bit of kit that i probably wouldn't start doing these procedures if i didn't have on board excellent well that's a great summary there mark of removing the bits or at least one of the bits um, from our avian friends. Um, I think we'll leave it there and we will talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus. Don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time.